Good morning. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Andre. I'm the youth pastor and pastoral assistant here at East Parkway. And as Wayne said, this Christmas, he and I are partnering together to bring you this Advent series, Revealed. Um, so during this series, we want to explore uh, the truth that was revealed in the news of the coming Christ to different people. Um, and as was said in the video last week, uh, we'll be talking uh, from the Gospel of Luke about Mary, uh, the mother of Jesus, the priest, Zechariah, um, the shepherds in the field, and then Simeon. And so our hope and our prayer is that during this very anticipated time of the year, with Christmas stories you've heard probably countless times, that God will reveal something new to you each week. So today we'll be talking about Mary. Uh, but before we get there, I want to start this Christmas story prior uh, to where Luke begins his gospel. And as an introduction uh, to this series and, and for today, I thought it would be helpful to gain some context. And so I want to start by taking us on a journey, all of us, on a journey thousands of years before Luke 1. At the end of this journey, we will come right back here to Luke 1, uh, right where God revealed to Mary that she would give birth to the Savior of the world. And Mary's part of the story, of the, and the coming of Jesus is truly remarkable, but understanding everything prior and understanding the backstory uh, really makes it even better. So this journey is to help us gauge and measure and understand uh, the level of hope for God's promise and whether it seemed possible in the minds of the Israelites and whether the people thought that God's promise could become a reality. So I want us to walk in the steps of God's people. Obviously, the need for Christ begins in the garden after the fall uh, and sin enters the world, but I want to start our journey uh, years later with Abraham. In Genesis 12, you don't have to turn there, but in Genesis 12, God promises that he will make Abraham into a great nation, uh, that he will make his name great, and that from him, God would bless all the peoples of the world. And so from there, the promise of the Savior is made. So now we've started our, Abraham, our, our journey, and we're with Abraham. And then comes uh, Isaac and Jacob and Esau, and as time goes on, imagine a few generations later, that promise doesn't really seem any closer to becoming a reality. And then comes Joseph, and the nation of Israel moves to Egypt. And, but after a while, the Israelites uh, become enslaved. And now imagine, on this journey, that that promise made to Abraham seems even more distant. A land of their own, being a nation and being a blessing to others? I don't think so. And after 400 years of captivity, God works through Moses and brings them out of Egypt, and Israel is following God. And so imagine the hope that is starting to build and develop that this promise made to Abraham years ago could come true. Years after that, the promised land, uh, after entering the promised land and conquering some surrounding nations, Israel is a kingdom. And we come to David, the pinnacle of kings in, in the history of Israel, and things are looking up. This was the best time since Abraham. And imagine being there in, in thriving Israel after all that you've been through in Egypt and the desert, and you have a place of your own. You're a nation now, and blessing others seems like it could become a reality. I imagine Israel is feeling pretty good at this point. And then comes Solomon. And imagine being a part of this kingdom. This is the peak of Israel. 
He had so much promise. He had unfathomable wisdom. There was peace in the world. They had financial blessing and influence over other nations. So it seemed like it was on the cusp of this promise coming true. Except that at the end of Solomon's life, he chose to worship the gods of his wives. And he didn't heed God's warning about his kingdom. And things go downhill. And so the kingdom is split in two. Uh, It falls to surrounding enemies and they fall hard into captivity again. And imagine the feeling now in this journey of God's promise slipping away. Captivity to Assyria and then they're uh, captive to Babylon. And at this point, their economy is gone. Their land has been taken over. Pillaged buildings are ruined. The temple destroyed. The invading nations have taken the brightest, smartest Israelites as their own. And you can imagine that they could not see past their, um, their current circumstances. And during captivity to these foreign powers, God sent prophets to speak to them, to give them hope, to give them a glimpse of light. Uh, but things were just too much, and, and they were not receptive. And then comes Rome and the next ruling authority after Persia. And for the Israelites, this means silence from God. Imagine this decline of a a nation over hundreds of years and God's promise coming true doesn't seem like it's even in the realm of possibility. I imagine the nation feeling discouraged and disheartened. There was silence. Silence for the nation of Israel not hearing from God in years. And then comes an angel. An angel that out of everyone appears to a young teenage girl. An angel comes and visits Mary, and the news that Gabriel the angel brings to her is world-changing news. Just a side note here. In the world's eyes, this is probably the time that seems most impossible to see how God's promise could come true after all that they've been through as a nation. But this is when God chooses to move. This is when he chooses to insert Jesus into the story. So hope, which seemed lost, is now renewed. She is told that she will have a baby, the Savior of the world, and that he will be called Jesus. And Mary, being a virgin, does not understand how this is possible, but the angel assures her that God will take care of it. And she responds in faith, basically saying, God, you are God, and I am your servant. If this is your will, then then I trust you. And then Mary heads over to Elizabeth. And if this happened to teenage you, you would probably need someone to debrief and process this whole situation with as well. Thank you, yeah. Um, It seems overwhelming when I read it. So Mary visits Elizabeth. And imagine on the way what is going through her head as she's making this trek. It's a couple days. Uh, Maybe I imagine Mary just kind of thinking, how am I going to break this to Elizabeth, this thing that's happened, this angel that has visited me, and then the news that I'm going to have a baby. I imagine the conversation, if it was me, I would say, you know, I'm thinking, hey, Elizabeth, um, yeah, engagement's going well. On that, I kind of have some news. Or maybe she's thinking, uh, Elizabeth, just curious, do you have any experience with any angels by any chance? Um, Is that normal for you? The point is that Mary's got a lot on her mind. And so Mary arrives. We're in Luke 1 now, and and she arrives. But before she can even get past hello, She doesn't have the chance to share any of this because Elizabeth, filled with the Holy Spirit, exclaims, Blessing on Mary. 
She encourages and affirms her in what the angel had said to her. Elizabeth exclaims this blessing that addresses what the angel said, uh, shares excitement for Mary, and affirms that the baby will be the Savior. Spurgeon says of this moment here in Luke, Mary, full of faith, goes to see Elizabeth, who is also full of holy confidence. And the two, not long together before their faith mounts to full assurance, and their full assurance bursts forth in a torrent of sacred praise. I think that's a beautiful scene right there. This is one of those scenes in the Bible that is clearly from God. There's no other way to explain the joy, what they are feeling, the magnitude of what is happening and what is being felt and known by these two women. And not only has the truth been revealed to Mary now, but it's also been revealed to Elizabeth. And it's after all this that we come to our passage this morning, where Mary produces this psalm of thanksgiving, this hymn, this beautiful song. So what we call the Magnificat, where we see Mary praising God. And not just any praise, but this incredible, detailed praise of what God has done. So that was our journey. We journeyed through, uh, briefly, through the entire Bible to see the anticipation uh, and the hope that is building here. And so let's read. I can't continue summing up the Bible. It's just good to get to it. So I'll start in verse 26 um, and read through the end. Follow along as I read aloud. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be, will be born, or the child to be born will be called the Holy, Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste to the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me. For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on my humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, 
and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Let's pray. God, we come before you today, Lord, uh, in this much-anticipated time of the year with so much going on around us, God. And we come here this morning to hear your word. And God, I pray that uh, we would hear your truth and we would be brought to, in our hearts, and uh, brought to a place of praise, Lord, where, where our joy is found in you like it is for Mary. So I pray that you would uh, soften our hearts, Lord, open our ears to hear. Um, God, that you would speak through me and through your word. Um, and we just give this morning to you, uh, thankful and, and, and eager, Lord, to grow closer to you. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. All right, today we get the privilege and awesome opportunity of spending time in one of the most famous passages uh, concerning the birth of Christ, the Magnificat. And for those of you looking for your classic Christmas story, as I often am come this time of the year, this is it. This section is called the Magnificat because in Latin, the first word of this passage is magnify. But we'll get to that in just a second. Um, We see in Mary's song of praise here a real sense of the gospel throughout these ten verses, meaning we are pointed to our need for God. It's structured like a uh, a psalm of thanksgiving. First, Mary is telling us that she is praising God, and then she continues to tell us why she is praising God. And this is how I want to proceed today. We'll see that her praise is in God and her joy is in God. So first, we see that Mary is praising God. And we see this in verse 46, that Mary's soul is magnifying the Lord. And we all know that magnify here means to make large, to make great, to exalt, to glorify. It's used to describe this telescopic view of God. Mary is trying to make the bigness and the vastness of God more readily seen, like a telescope trying to focus in on a cluster of stars or planets out of the entire universe. And so uh, every verse here is a reference to him. She is telling us something specific about our Lord. He is the focus. Mary is, is giving God praise. Her soul is fixed on God, focused and directed to the one who is blessing her. All of her, all of her in this moment is praising God. Then her spirit rejoices. She is joyful, and this joy is overflowing. It's not just this uh, warm, glowing feeling that she's feeling in this moment of bearing a child and seeing her Elizabeth. This is an overflowing, overwhelming joy. She is responding to God's revelation to her. Her joy is in the Lord. And as we see the source of Mary's joy, we would do well uh, to be like her. In this Christmas season, when many other things can be the source of our happiness, uh, for instance, maybe that 70-inch TV at Costco that's on sale right now, 
or the Christmas bonus that we're expecting in our paycheck, or time off work in school. All those things can quickly become the sources of happiness that we focus on, that uh, we draw joy from. It's good to see here this morning that Mary's joy comes from the Lord. For Mary, the reason she prays and rejoices because of who God is and what he is doing. And I think the order here is important. Mary first looks to God and praises God, and then we see her joyful heart. We see her being glad. And as I was preparing this week and thinking, reflecting on this, this really stuck out to me, this order of first magnifying God and then rejoicing. Because more often than not, I I don't know if I do that on a weekly basis and in my life. I think I wait until my spirit is somehow rejoicing, and then I choose to magnify God. I choose to focus in on him. But the order here is of revelation and then response. Also, Mary, she doesn't take this moment to glorify herself, the mother of Jesus, which is amazing. It's an incredible blessing. She does not, but she doesn't lift herself up and, and how great she is or will be. She could have found ha- happiness in a selfish way somehow and made it all about her, but she doesn't. And so I want to ask, and we should ask ourselves, in what does our spirit rejoice this Christmas season? In what does our spirit rejoice? Has our praise of God, as we, uh, throughout the week, or even Sunday mornings as we worship and hear the word of God, has our praise of God affected our joy? Are we rejoicing in the right things? Or are we more concerned with the shopping and presents, or financially, how are we going to afford everything for the holidays? Are we looking forward to vacations and family time and peppermint mochas at Starbucks uh, just maybe too much? Are we magnifying God and rejoicing in him? Mary starts by telling us that she is praising God, and then she shifts to telling us why. And it starts with personal reasons and how God affected her directly and then her song moves to praising God for what he's done and, and will do for the entire world. Mary's Magnificat here praises God's holiness for, by magnifying three things about God. His mindfulness, his might, and his mercy. So first, uh, God's mindfulness. We see that God is mindful. He is aware of what is going on. And we see that in two ways. First, in verse 48. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. God is mindful of Mary's personal condition. He's seen her in her current estate. He is aware of who Mary is, uh, what she is going through, where in life she's at. He's aware of the struggles that she is facing and will face moving forward with being the mother of Jesus. And she is praising him that uh, that God is completely mindful of her. He knows her. And then secondly, we see that He is mindful in verse 53, and that he's mindful of everyone. God God is aware of what is going on in the entire world. He sees who is prospering and who is suffering, who is rich and who is poor, who is hungry and who is in need, and he knows what's going on in the world. So from verses 48 and 53, we know that God is mindful, that he is aware. We know that this is not just true of Mary specifically, 
and for the world at that time, but this is true for us today, that God knows what is going on in the world today. The turmoil, the wars, the loss and pain, the uncertainty of nations and their leaders, God knows. And even more, we know that God is mindful of each and every one of our lives and what each of us are going through and the pain and the loss, the uncertainty of jobs and future, as well as the joys and the happiness he knows. That is God's, so God is mindful. The next part of God's holiness that we see in Mary's song is God's might. And I see this also in two ways. The first is found in verse uh, 49. God is working his power and might in Mary's life specifically. She's praising God that he is not only aware of her, mindful of her, but that he's able to do something about it. Verse 49, for he who is mighty has done great things for me. And her use of the personal pronouns here emphasizes just how important and powerful this is to her. She is praising God for what this means for her to be the mother of the Savior of the world. Secondly, he is mighty over all, over everything. Verses 51 through 52, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. His might was exercised over the nations, over the kingdoms of the earth. Do you remember on our journey and those nations that held Israel captive? He brought an end to all of them. He has the power to move in mighty ways. And so from these verses, we know that God is not just mindful. He's not just aware uh, of everyone and, and of us individually, but that he is able and he's mighty to work in our life and in over uh, all the world. God knows what you are going through and he can handle it. Nothing is too big for God. He's not just aware of the situations of our lives and of the world at this present time, but he is also in control. All right, so far, we have Mary praising God for being mindful and for his might. And then thirdly, for his mercy. And all of these attributes that are being magnified are woven together, but Mary brings special attention to each of them. And so now she praises God for his mercy. And I see this, guess what, in two ways. It's a pastor thing, I think. It's just got to be organized. Um, First, we see that God's mercy is for everyone. And I see this in verse 50. It says, His mercy is for those who fear him. It's not just for Israel. It's not just for the heirs of Abraham that struggled through all those years. But it's for everyone who fears God. And what a blessing that is to us today, even this morning, us in this room, that we know that we can receive God's mercy if we fear him. And then secondly, we see that his mercy is forever from generation to generation, in verse 50, and to his offspring forever, in verses 54 through 55. God is doing mighty things because he is merciful, because the promise that he made to Abraham thousands of years ago. God is doing this in remembrance of his mercy. And this plan of mercy has been present, has been there since the beginning. And the mercy of God is everlasting, It knows no end. You look back 
in history and you see God's mercy. And we can look forward and know that God's mercy will abound in our lives and in the world. What a comfort and source of confidence to us today. So Mary is praising God for being mindful, mighty, and merciful. And I just want to add that Mary sees these three things as God is fulfilling his promise. Imagine the comfort that this is for her. She's just been told that she will mother this, the miracle baby, Jesus, the Savior of the world. And when thinking of how all this will happen, how will God do this? What does she look to? But she looks to what God has done. That God is fulfilling a promise made 2,000 years in the past. He can surely handle this moment. He can surely handle what I'm going through. So with Mary as our example, we should look to magnify God. Let's focus on his greatness, his holiness, and praise him for the work that he is doing in our lives. The ongoing, never-ending, redeeming work that he is doing in our hearts. And then, by focusing on him, our hearts will be made glad. Like it says in Psalm 92, For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the work of your hands I sing for joy. Or Psalm 16, I have set the Lord always before me. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. And this praise that we should have should not just stay between us and God, but it needs to be shared. Mary reveals to us in a song that God is mindful and merciful and mighty, but not just to her. No, she shares it with the world. She reminds us of God's resume, showing that he has done this before. He's shown his holiness all along. And we should take joy in this, and this joy should overflow out of us. Let me put it to you uh, in another way. I love that Mary praises God for what Jesus means for the world, but she also gets what it means for her personally. Jesus, the Savior, was going to live inside of her, and the joy that this brought her overflowed from her. And in a similar way, we too can know what it is like to have the Spirit of God within us. Think about it. When you have those moments of full realization of God through the Spirit within you, subduing your sinful desires and corruptions, giving you pure passions for truth, changing your nature, you have a joy unspeakable within you. And like Mary, you would sing. You have to sing. Because your spirit must rejoice in God, the source of all the blessing that you are receiving. And this is what Mary is going through in verses 46 through 55. She has a joy uncontainable that she has to share. And so she sings. And like Mary, our souls should magnify the Lord and our spirit rejoice in God, our Savior. I don't know the last time that you had one of those moments when you were just so filled with God and and joy in him that you just had to sing, but we should have more of them. And we should have them this Christmas season. So, one final thought. All of this, Mary's Magnificat, our praise and joy It centers around God's grandeur and his holiness. Going back to that vastness and the bigness of God, that's where the rest of this comes from. We don't have the rest of this without God's holiness. And remember that this is meant to be shared just as Mary shared. First it was personal for her and then it was proclaimed. And so I ask you this. Who in your life 
needs to hear that God is mindful of them. That he is aware of their situation and where they are at in life and what they are going through. Who needs to hear that God is mighty? That he is able, he's not just aware that he's able to do something and that he's mighty to save. And who in your life needs to hear that God, that God's mercy is for them? Perhaps someone in your life has forgotten the mighty deeds of God or maybe they are so caught up in life they have blinded themselves to how God is working, to seeing God, God's blessing in their lives. And maybe you can, can gently remind them of God's work in their life, in the world, and share your praise for his holiness with them. So that's, that's the challenge of this week, is who, need, who do you need to share with? And then do it. I want to end with this encouragement to, to all of us here. Know this, uh, that God sees you. He's mindful of you. And on top of that, he is able. He is strong enough to do something and, and he's merciful. And so he wants to do something about your situation. And the reason he wants to do this for you is because he is holy. He is set apart. And there is no one like our God. And like Mary says in verse 49, holy is his name. Let's pray. God, again, we come before you, Lord, and uh, you are holy, God. You, it's just so, uh, we're thankful for the fact that you are mindful of us, that you know us, you know where each and every one of us are at in life, what we're feeling, what we're going through. And God, not only do you know, and know in a, in, in a great personal way, you're not just aware, uh, but you know what it's like. You know the feelings that we're having. And God, that uh, you are mighty. We, we praise you for that, that you are working in our lives. And I pray that we would all take comfort from that, God, knowing that you are at work. You are moving in our lives and in the world. And God, we praise you for your mercy that you even want to do this. We are not deserving of your grace and of your love, but God, you give and you give freely. So we praise you, God. We just want to continue to praise you as we sing and, and partake in communion, God. Uh, and I pray throughout this, the coming weeks um, in this Christmas season, Lord, that our praises would be fixed on you. Our joy would come from you, God. And we would continue to, in our own life, and then other people would see it too, that we would be magnifying your name and who you are. We're thankful, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen.